All right. What a great time of worshiping together and getting into God's presence. <clears throat> All right. I want to assure, just before we jump in here, well, a couple things. One is uh, I wanted to, a uh, special shout out as a Canadian, to see on the background of all of our songs during worship, maple leaves falling from the sky. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not, but either way, I appreciated that. Also want to make sure to just reassure all of you this morning that uh, we're, we're, we're in no rush here, that we have plenty of time for us this morning to focus on our message. The Kansas City Chiefs don't play until about four o'clock. <laughs> And so if you're wanting to make sure that you'll be able to figure out whether or not Taylor Swift is attending the game and what she might be wearing, there's, uh, there's plenty of time uh, in, you know, for that, right? God's got still, still got some stuff that he wants to do here today. Uh, a quick maybe a prayer request that, uh, for me to ask of you this week. Um, some of our staff are going to be going up to Portland, Oregon this week for the Ministers Fellowship International National Conference. MFI is the pastoral fellowship that we are, are, are a part of here at City Church. We're a non-denominational church. We're not a member of a denomination, but uh, we don't believe that that means that we should just walk alone as Christians, as believers, and as a church. And so we're connected to a fellowship that is um, based out of Portland. So uh, some of our staff is going to be going up there this week. And uh, I'm hoping, praying, believing that it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for us to um, uh, just enjoy some time together away from the, the kind of the church building and the staff meetings, as well as that we're going to receive some things uh, in our times of worship and in times of session, you know, the different sessions, that we're going to learn some things, that we're going to have an opportunity to connect with other like-minded and like-hearted pastors and ministries that are out there. So would appreciate it if you would keep uh, our staff in your prayers this, uh, this week. You know, a couple of weekends ago, uh, we alluded to this last week, a couple of weekends ago we hosted a number of leaders from City Church uh, here at our church for a Friday night and a Saturday morning. We called it a mini encounter, and the aim of that weekend was to simply give our attention to pursuing an encounter with God that will bring greater freedom and greater victory to our lives and to our faith. And it really was uh, an awesome time of uh, giving our full attention to God's presence. And uh, we really felt like it was beneficial for so many of us and that God was moving in our hearts, moving in our lives, revealing himself in greater ways. And uh, it was, it was a, a powerful moment together. And so uh, we're going to be hosting another one of these mini encounters on the weekend of October 20th and 21st. And instead of that being kind of invitation only and limited to a set group of people who are uh, functioning in specific roles here at the church, all of you are invited. Every one of you are invited to this weekend, and uh, there's a QR code that's going to be on the rest of the presentation behind me uh, today, and you can scan that QR code, and it will take you to a registration form where you can tell us that you're going to be joining us on the weekend of October the 20th and the 21st, and so I hope that you will be here for what I know will be a powerful Friday evening and Saturday morning of encountering God's presence together. Amen? 
So leading into, you know, this encounter weekend in a few weeks, we're going to take these next handful of weeks and talk about the power of an encounter with God. This isn't just about like an upcoming event. This isn't a three-week sales pitch for, you know, an upcoming weekend. This is about developing a lifestyle of pursuing God's presence because it only takes one encounter with God's presence and power to change your life. It only takes one moment with God's presence and power to change our lives. And so for the next three weeks, this is what we're going to be looking at as a church is the power of an encounter. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful today for your presence here in our midst. We're thankful for all that you are doing in City Church. We're thankful for open heavens in Albuquerque. Open heavens over our families. Open heavens over our neighborhoods. We're thankful that your spirit is at work even when we can't see it in order to bring the prodigal home. In order to draw back to yourself those who are far from you. Lord, we say yes to all that you are wanting to do at City Church and in our community. Father, today as we open your word, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us today? Our hearts cry is, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in our lives and in our city. Do what only you can do, Father. We thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. In John chapter 5, there's this really interesting uh, story, and uh, we discover this man who has been an invalid for 38 years. And there's this pool that is located in, I think it's the northeastern part of Jerusalem. And uh, some of our translations call it the Pool of Bethesda. Some call it the Pool of Bethsaida. That's because there's actually a little bit of um, debate as to what its actual name is. But we know that this pool actually exists because archaeologists have dug it up. And if you were to go to Jerusalem today, you can go to this pool you can watch about this story if you watch the Chosen series. One of the episodes is actually dedicated to this story. It's interesting to note that in the, uh, if you watch it in that um, episode, it looks like a pretty small pool. In reality, it's about the size of a football field. And you can go and visit it to this day. And in the first couple of centuries after um, Jesus' time, it was... Uh, considered to be a place of healing within the Roman kind of pagan religion. And so even in the day of Jesus, there was something kind of superstitious about this pool. And so people who were sick and they needed some healing and who maybe you know, you get to a point where you say, I don't really think all of this superstition stuff works, but nothing else has worked, and so maybe I'll go down to this pool, hang around for a little while. And there was this kind of weird legend that when the water would kind of bubble up and it appears like there was a spring or an aqueduct that ran underneath of it, and so from time to time the water would stir. And so there was this kind of legend that when the water would stir, that if some, the first person who would be able to get themselves into the water, that they might receive healing. 
And so we meet this guy who has been an invalid for about 38 years. We don't know how long he's been heading down to this pool, but let's assume that it's for quite a while. And he's yet to be able to get in. He's yet to be able to receive his healing. He's yet to be able to find what he's looking for. And yet he keeps on coming back over and over and over again until one day Jesus shows up. And Jesus encounters this man and he says to him, do you want to be made well, and of course, this man says, of course I want to be made well. I've been coming to this pool day after day, week after week. I've been like this for 38 years, and still I'm here, and still I'm looking, and still I'm searching. And this man has one encounter with Jesus, in which he hears the voice of Jesus say to him, get up. Pick up your mat. And in one moment, the power of the presence of God breaks into this man's body and restores bone and muscle and nerves and his legs begin to feel something and his muscles begin to strengthen. And this man, having never been able to walk for 38 years, stands up and picks up his mat at the word of Jesus. And it makes me wonder, where do we go to get the things that we need? Where's your pool of Bethesda? Maybe your pool of Bethesda is one or two or a series of relationships or people that that's where you turn to. Maybe it's a vice or a habit. Maybe it's a hobby that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you've made it to be an ultimate thing. Maybe it's a pursuit that you have. We all have the different things. The question is simply that when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling worried or when I'm searching for a sense of meaning or fulfillment or purpose, when I'm feeling hurt or when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm experiencing lack in my life, whatever it may be, where do I go? To what or to whom do I turn? Where or what is my pool of Bethesda? And what I want us to see today is just like that man at the pool of Bethesda experienced over 38 years was simply this. That pool has nothing for you. But Jesus does. But Jesus does. And all you need is one encounter with him. One moment with him that can change your life. And so here's my challenge to you today. Stop making Jesus your last option and start making him your first and only option. Yeah. Too many of us, 
when we find ourselves in a time of need, whether it be a natural need or whether it be an inward need, we run around to all these different things. And then when none of that works, sometimes a light bulb goes off in our brain and we go, you know what, maybe I should, maybe I should try Jesus. How long does it take for us to learn? There's nothing for you there. So make Jesus your first and your only option. Because all you need with him is a moment. Listen, I don't know how Jesus feels about get-rich-quick schemes. But I do know how he feels about get-free-fast. He's for it. He's for it. Because all it takes is a moment. All it takes is one encounter. All it takes is one word from the lips of Jesus. And freedom comes. And healing comes. And wholeness comes. Now that doesn't mean there's, a cha- there's not a process of our learning how to walk in victory and to walk in freedom. But I want us to see over today and over these next number of weeks, the power of God's presence, the power of an encounter with God. That God can do in our lives what nothing else can give us. And that's what's in his heart. That's his desire for you, is to do something in you, to meet the deepest needs of your soul that cannot be met anywhere else but Jesus. So, here's the deal. God is not playing hide and seek with us. He doesn't play games with us. But he does invite us to seek him because he's the only one that can meet the deepest needs that exist within us. And so our seeking of him isn't like jumping through hoops in order to play the game that we might get from the genie bottle, the thing that we're looking for. But it is an invitation that comes out of recognition. God, you have everything that I need. Or let me rephrase it this way. You are everything that I need. It's really an important distinction. We can all fall into the trap of looking for the gift rather than the gift giver. When you have God, you don't need anything because all that he has we find through encountering him. Matthew chapter seven, verses seven to 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened, will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
How about this from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 13 to 14. This is Jeremiah prophesying to the nation of Israel as they are about to go into exile into the nation of Babylon. And he says to them, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will be found by you. Why? Because God's not playing games with you. He's not playing hide and seek with you. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, the, the author of Hebrews writes, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Finally, in this section here, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, this is so important. This tells us in one little passage here that Jesus, the Son of God, the man God, God in flesh, that he is very much like you and I because he came as a person, he experienced all the things, all of what it means to be human, he experienced it and so he can relate to us. And yet he is also very much not like any of us. See, we have these experiences in our lives where there's been conflict in a relationship or someone has done wrong to us or we have done wrong to someone else. I don't know if you've noticed, but we human beings have a way of bumping into one another in ways that leave bumps and bruises and cuts and scars. And there are moments where we know that we ought to go to someone in order to make things right. And yet we resist because we think that there's no use. We think that they've already decided that the relationship is too far gone. Or they reject us. Or out of their anger, they refuse to forgive or to consider the possibility of how we might move on from this and whatever. But we experience this and then we do something really tragic. We believe the lie that God is the same way. And we begin to think that because of my failures, because of my mistakes, because of my sins, because of, you know, I, maybe I've been wrestling with doubt in my mind, and I think, God knows what's been going on in my brain, and so what's he going to do or say when I come to him to ask him for a need? Is he going to shine a spotlight right on that thing in my life in order to heap guilt or condemnation on me? No, no, that's not the Spirit of God. Oh, it's a spirit. 
but it's not God's spirit. Because God is not like anyone that you've met before in that his love is perfect. And so the scripture tells us that we can come to him with confidence that he will never reject you. He will never push you aside. His desire is not to heap condemnation and guilt. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't mind us being aware of our sin and of feeling its sting if it will lead us to repentance. But God's not interested in somehow lording over you and I the things that we struggle with. He's not playing games with you. He really wants you, wants your heart, wants your presence, wants you to know him. And so, we need to seek him first. We need to seek him first. Listen, I've said this before, and over the years, you're going to hear me say this many a time. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. Irregardless of what you may be going through right now, whatever your circumstances may be, whatever struggles you've been wrestling with, whatever sins you may have committed in the lobby before you stepped into the auditorium today, <laughs> God is incapable of loving you any more than he does right now. And he is unwilling to love you any less. And so because of that, we seek him first. We seek him first. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Matthew records Jesus saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That is to say, Jesus is challenging us to seek first, place the highest priority on our experiencing the reality of Jesus' kingdom in our lives. Make that our first priority, to seek first the reality of the reign of King Jesus in our lives. So I want to encourage you, determine within yourself, determine in your heart, settle it within your spirit that God will be your first and your only option. That in your moment of struggle, whether it's without or within, that the first place that you will run to will be to the presence of Jesus. Because it's in his presence where we encounter him in a way that changes everything. So what we do is, it's not in the moments of crisis that we make decisions about how we're going to respond in the moment of crisis. It's in the moments when we're not in crisis, where we determine within ourselves 
that when things do go awry, because they will, or when things do go sideways, because they will, when I find myself in a valley, because one day I will, I'm not going to go running to all of the different places that I used to run. There will be no pool of Bethesda for me. But Jesus will be my refuge. Jesus will be the one that I run to. His presence will be the place where I will go because I know I have experienced, I have come to believe through the scripture and from my own life that all I need is a moment with him. And everything can change. And so seek him first. Secondly, seek him in the scriptures. Seek him in the scriptures. This is why it's so important that we develop a habit and a lifestyle of reading our Bible. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. What does that mean? It simply means this, that when we open up the scriptures and we begin to ingest God's word, we find Jesus. We find him. We find him. How many pages are in your Bible? So, well, I'm not sure because in my Bible I just go like this. <laughs> we find Jesus on every single page. In every page, he's there. So seek him in the scriptures. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in prayer. You know, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Mark writes this. He says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I'd simply suggest that if Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, God in flesh, thought it was important to get up really early in order to pray, how much more should I prioritize Spending time with Jesus. Now, I don't know that we need to take from this that we all need to make, you know, getting up before the crack of dawn or prayer. Um, it ha has to be like, that's the way that we've got to do it. I will say that in my life, that I've experienced that oftentimes if I don't spend time in prayer first, I often won't spend time in prayer at all. Now, that could be just me. If you're able to develop a habit of setting aside a time that you will consistently work for you to spend time with God, then like do that. Like that's, that, that, that's amazing, right? So I have found in my own life though that if I don't do it first, that often I won't, I won't do it. Secondly, I have found for myself that first thing in the morning for me is the time when my brain is most clear from all of the other stuff. I find it really difficult personally that if I'm going to go to pray later in the day or at another time that my brain is swirling with all of the other stuff of life, the stuff of the day, all of that kind of stuff. So that's my own experience is that it's beneficial to spend time uh, in the morning before I get my, the rest of my day started. But don't get me wrong. Praying at any time is absolutely valuable, critical to our spiritual health and to our relationship with God. See, this is what prayer is. I would suggest to you that the primary aim of prayer is not talking. I would suggest to you that the primary aim of prayer is not listening. 
even though it's both. I would suggest to you that the primary aim of prayer is being with God. It is being with him. Listen, the act of prayer is our declaration that we are not in control. See, why am I here? Why am I sitting at the feet of Jesus? Why am I kneeling here in my living room or my bedroom or my office? Why am I here in God's presence? It is my declaration that I am not in control, but God, you are. You are in control. The act of prayer is our declaration that God is our source. That he is everything that we need. That we find it in him. And so we seek him first. We seek him in the scriptures. We seek him in prayer. We seek him in worship. We seek him in worship. Now, worship is certainly more than what we did this morning with the band and with the singing. But it's not less. And how many of you this morning, as we sang and as we glorified God and as we worshiped him, how many of you this morning felt like God was here? Felt like you were somehow touching his presence, experiencing his glory? Because this is what worship does. In Psalms 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. There's something about worshiping God, giving him thanks, giving him praise, focusing our attention on him that brings us into God's presence and focuses our attention on God's greatness and his goodness and his faithfulness. Listen, there's so much in the world, there's so much around us, there's so much in our circumstances, there's so much in our life that is good reason for us to be discouraged. Right? I read uh, yesterday, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter at some point, and uh, I read a... um, uh, a, a post by someone who I think he pastors in a church, but perhaps not. Anyways, he wrote a thing about kind of the state of the church, and he made this comment in his post. He said something to the effect of, um, the outlook for the church is bleak. And I was like, I don't know where you are, dude. But I think that comes, and I don't mean to say this as a pronouncement of judgment. I don't know that guy. But what I hear, what I see when I read that, when I hear that kind of thing, is I hear um, us allowing what our eyes see to dictate what our hearts believe. Or as Marisa um, made a comment, I think it was, uh, was it last week, about the difference between, um, oh, this is a preview for the encounter, was the difference between what is fact and what is truth. And so I can look around and I can see reasons for being discouraged. I can see reasons for being down. I can see reasons for being pessimistic. But... When I focus my attention on Jesus, 
when I look to him, when I consider his greatness, when I consider his goodness, when I consider his faithfulness, when I consider his power, when I consider the victory of his death and of his resurrection, I cannot help but be filled with hope, with belief, with inspiration and encouragement. That irregardless of what my circumstances might tell me, God is up to something. And so while one person may look around and say that they think that the outlook for the church is bleak, I believe that the very best days for the church are ahead of us. Not that I need to qualify this, but I'm not saying this because I'm the new guy in town. I've been saying this for well over a year, that it is my conviction. I have been in church life since I was about seven years old. I've been in church leadership for about 25 years, and it is my conviction that the very best days for the church in my lifetime are ahead of us. Why do I believe that? It's not because everything that I see in the world makes me believe that everything is on track. It is because I believe that God is great, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is a man of his word, that he is a God who fulfills his promises, that what he has said, that he will do it, and that whether or not you and I have given up on him or ourselves or the church, that God has not given up on his plans or his purposes or his promises. And he's not given up on you either. And so worship brings us into this place of focusing our attention on him. We also seek him in serving others. We seek him through serving others. You know, we won't read the whole passage, but there's this um, really interesting scene that Jesus paints for us in Matthew chapter 25 And it's a scene of judgment and of providing an answer and an explanation for our lives. It's a fairly well-known passage where um, Jesus makes the comment how he will separate the sheep from the goats. And then he said that um, uh, he will welcome some into the eternity of the new heavens and the new earth. He will welcome them into eternity in God's presence And he will say to them, he said, that the reason why you have now been welcomed into this eternity is because of how you served others who needed help. That you visited those who were sick and in prison, that you fed the hungry, that you clothed those who were naked. And it says that they will ask the Lord, they will say, how, Um, sorry, it will say, uh, they will wonder how, what is that connection that exists between these acts of good service, of serving people, and now this eternal reward. And the, the father will simply say this, that when you did that, you were doing that to me. That somehow when we serve others, that we're not just serving that person, but we're serving God. 
that somehow he is present with those who are hurting, with those who need healing, with those who are poor, with those who are naked, with those who are sick and in the hospital, with those who have been imprisoned, that somehow Jesus is present with them and that when we serve them, we are somehow encountering Jesus in those moments. And so we seek him first. We seek him in the scriptures. We seek him in prayer. We seek him in worship. And we seek him in serving others. Listen, over these next three weeks, this is what I am hoping the Spirit of God will be doing here at City Church. Simply reestablishing Renewing, refreshing, re-strengthening and re-fortifying foundations that have always been here. And that is that we are a church that values the power of God's presence. It's who we are. That we are a people that are convinced that it is the power and the presence of God in our lives that makes all of the difference. It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in your life. It makes all the difference in my life. It makes all the difference here at City Church. It makes all of the difference wherever God may send you this week. It is the power and the presence of God that makes all of the difference. And that's who we are as a church. That is a part of the foundation of City Church. We are a people who value the power of God's presence. And so the more we can lean into that, the more we can lean into that in our own lives, the more we can lean into that in, as a church family, as a church community, then the more we will see the activity and the power of the presence of God being manifest in our lives, but not only in our lives, but through our lives. Because if we are going to be a people who are on mission, which is what we've been talking about for the past five weeks, but if we're going to be a people on mission, then we must also be a people of God's presence. Because it is God's presence that we offer to the world. The world doesn't need my wit and wisdom. The world doesn't need my amazing Taylor Swift jokes. Nobody gets free from any of that. If, listen, oh, if what I offer to the world is my own pool of Bethesda, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't offer the world anything. If all I am to my friends, my family, my coworkers is a pool of Bethesda, all I offer is superstition and empty, wishful thinking. But City Church, if we can be, and if we will be a people of the presence, a people who love God's presence, a people who are in pursuit of God's power and presence as a lifestyle, then listen, 
God is not playing hide and seek. You will find him. He will be found by you. He will fill you to the overflow with his presence and with his power. And then what you present to the world is not an not a pool of Bethesda that is lacking power. But what you offer is a well of living water that springs forth out of you and gives life to anyone that will receive it. So City Church, we are a people who values God's presence and power. And so we must be a people who seeks him first because we have become convinced that he is everything that we need and that just one encounter with him can change everything. Amen. Will you stand with me today? Come on, we've had a great morning this morning worshiping the Lord together. So can we take just a few minutes uh, as we close our time today? Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Can we lift our voices to the Lord? And can we just declare to Him, just say, Lord, You are my first resort. Lord, right now we fix our eyes on Him. Come on, right now, focus your attention on the Lord. He is here this morning. And just call out to Him in your own words and in your own voice. And just say, Lord, I need You. Lord, I need your presence. I need your presence. I need your living water. I need, I need you. Lord, all that I'm looking for, all that I'm searching for, all that I'm wanting, I find in you. Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Come on, tell them in your own words and in your own ways. Lord, you are my first and only option. Lord, you're the one that I'm running to. Lord, you're the one that I'm coming to. Lord, you're the one that I'm in pursuit of. just say, Lord, would you pour out your presence and your power in my life in a new and a fresh way? Lord, I want to be the kind of person that is encountering you in lots of different ways and in lots of different places. sense that you are moving, that you are moving in our city, that you are moving in our church, that you are moving in order to accomplish your plans and your purposes, not only for us, but for our world. We thank you that we have an invitation from you to know you and to participate with you in what you are doing. Father, today we come before you as a declaration that we need you. As a declaration today that we have come to believe that you are all that we need, that you are everything that we need. So Father, I pray that you will pour out your spirit in a fresh and a new way within us, within City Church. 
would you raise up right here a church full of people, men, women, young, old, who will seek you first, who will make you our first and only option, who will seek you in the scriptures, who will seek you in prayer, who will seek you in worship, and who will seek you in serving. Father, it's our conviction that it is your presence among us that makes all of the difference. So raise us up that we may be a church that is committed to pursuing your presence as a lifestyle. Whether we're here or whether we're going about our lives every day. I pray that from this room today would be sent into the world 100, 120, 150 not pools of Bethesda but wells springing forth with living water that gives life to us and to everyone around us who will receive it do what I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Church, we have uh, some members of our prayer team here that if you would like prayer today, we would love to agree with you and minister, you know, to you. Um, beyond that, church, we love you. Have a great Sunday today. Have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next weekend. As you're leaving, why don't you turn around, find a face you don't recognize, and say hello today. God bless you.